Aloha and welcome. You're listening to Soul, your host for Pay Me What I'm Worth Talk Radio. And now it's time to sit back and to learn along with the rest of us. Get ready to meet some amazing souls as they make real changes in daily life. I recommend you find some notepaper, then get ready to enjoy a few ahas as you listen to this show. I'm delighted and thrilled to introduce you to Christina Irvin, team leader for Team Clarity. Hello, I'm Christina Irvin, and I'm happy to extend this special invitation for you to eavesdrop on Team Clarity's discussion as we dive into the next exercise of Pay Me What I'm Worth. Next, let's meet the rest of the team. Hello, this is Chelsea Wells from the mountains of Tennessee. Have a blessed day. Hi, this is Marcia Sertino, and I'm in Boston, Massachusetts. Hello and welcome from the gorgeous state of Wisconsin. This is Patty Anderson. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Julia Cologne from the city that never sleeps, New York City. Okay, time to start the class. I want a round of applause for Christina for doing a fabulous month two. She did a great job on chapter one. Don't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yay! Thanks, Christina. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thank you all. We're completing month number two on this call. Can you believe it? Wow. It's hard to believe. Your worth passport is an organic document. It's meant to be changed. What you're writing on your first one-page summary is not something you engrave in granite and you put up on your shelf for all eternity. (laughs) (laughs) It's a bookmark. It's a placeholder. It's a Polaroid snapshot of where you're at right now, today, with how you feel about your stuff. And I'll remind you, in our last call, I talked about if you're more creative, if imagery, if sound is more of a a trigger for you as to how you would sum up what you experienced in Chapter 1, draw a picture, create a collage, put a link to the sound, the show, the song, the whatever it is that captures this, because we can be creative. So as you're boiling it down, just know that whatever you come up with for your one-page summary, and I had one person in England say, well, you know, our paper size is longer than your paper size. And I said, yeah, all right, for the folks in the United States, you cannot use legal size paper size. It has to be 8.5 by 11. (laughs) (laughs) And no, you cannot use a type 2 font where you need a magnifier glass to read it. It's like you creative, creative people. Your exercise six done before we move on to exercise seven isn't a requirement. But try and get your exercise six, your summary of your first page of your Worth Passport, try and get that done. And I have a number of people who have decided to go out and get some fairly nice paper. And they're printing off each page and they're creating a book. They're a 10-page book for themselves. That's their Worth Passport so that they have a tangible material item at the end of our journey to go through. Perfect. I find that doing the blogs in the back office, it helps me develop this one page. And I'm telling you, I have to go back. I just cannot do it on one one go-round. I have to go back because it seems like every few days I have a new epiphany. I'd like to conclude our Chapter 1 journey with something that happened to Christina that I think is life-changing. Would you mind sharing that aha? So I was going back through and I was reassessing our last discussion and I got to thinking about our discussions, the worth decay, material values and self-doubt and shame and realize that I am just as guilty of doing it to myself as anybody has been of doing it to me because I took on all of those things that said you have to have the nice house and the nice car and education and nice clothes and all those things, and I chose to take that in. 
And what I realized when I got to being 30, I got these things, and I was still left feeling empty and just more stressed out with more debt. When I go back and think about that as it relates to worth decay and self-doubt, every week I'm having that self-discussion of you're not enough, you haven't done enough, you should be at a bigger, better place in your life right now, and you're not. And I beat myself up every week, and that is worse than the world doing it to me. That's that self-talk chatter in the back of our head. <laughs> that yeah, people in general are, are much harder on themselves. You all talking about Christina's critic? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I just wanted to add to Christina that I've noticed a difference also where when I first met Christina, I noticed that she wasn't getting enough rest. It was Everything was work, 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 work. I had spoke to her about my experience of just working, 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 and one day just falling asleep while standing on the train because I was so tired. And that was an awakening for me where I needed to rest. And not only my body, but my mind needs to rest so that I can absorb more information. And I noticed that Christina is resting more through our conversations. She'll say, I'm going to go to bed, and not 2 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock at night. Just wanted to say I'm very proud of you of taking care of yourself, your body and mind and soul so that you can function better. Thank you. Taking more more strides in that is still a challenge, but certainly yeah. I'm uh, being more conscious of it. Yeah, she is. And, Julia, you had an aha moment in your one-page summary. My aha moment was when doing Chapter 1, I was laying on the bed with my husband, and I remembered I had my graduation ring was stolen. At one point, I would never have spoken to my husband about how much it bothered me because he would always say he's stressed out, tired, he feels like he has no time for himself. So I would never say anything. Through this chapter, I realized that I am worthy to be heard. This is my husband. I need to talk to him of what's bothering me. If he doesn't know, how is he going to help me? So being able to express myself and my concerns to him and just being honest it was a whole different reaction. He was like, well, we'll get you a new one, and we just started our research and trying to find this ring. I'm just as valuable as any physical item that's in my home that I deserve, and I'm worthy to be heard. That was my awakening. Like, it was just something that I felt like, wow, I can't believe it. I'm here actually talking to him, and it's brought in our relationship just so much closer now. Yay! <laughs> that's huge, Julia. That is yes. huge. Someone who's so important to me, for him to react the way he did and show the concern was like, if he can do that, then someone like my brother or friend, I should be able to speak to them. So when's your husband joining us? <clears throat> is he going to be one of the first people on your next team? I'm just, just, just wondering, just wondering. And this speaks to also Chelsea. Our last call really left you like some really raw-touched open nerves, yeah? Oh, yes, it sure did. Can you give us a update on how raw those nerves are? I said in one of our previous discussions, when I was looking at things and what I valued, one of the first things was my mama's wedding band. I lo- my mama died. It'll be six years in August. As Christina can attest, I've had a very rough time coming to terms with it. She was one of my soulmates. What I realized was that I never took this ring off. I always had it on, no matter what. And if I thought I lost it, I was in a panic. But what I realized through this first part of this journey is when I thought about how did I get this ring, I got this ring because my mother died. And what I have attached to that ring is her death and the pain and the grief and the suffering that I've gone through over these past few years. And it just made me realize that this ring doesn't connect me with her. I have a spiritual soul connection with her. So I took the ring off, and it was extremely difficult. 
my finger still feels a little naked, but it has helped me on my journey for my grief in losing my mom to realize that a 14-karat gold wedding band just does not represent my connection with her. And it, it's okay that I take it off, that I put it away. And I still, I'm not wearing it. I've been able to do that. And the bag of clothes, Tessa? Oh, yes. When she died, of course, we all like to bring things home with us that we feel connects us to them. So I had a whole bag. It was one of those bags you put clothes in. You suck the air out of her clothes. And I've had those in my house since she died. So I have now opened that bag, washed up a bunch of it, and I'm going to take it to the nurse home that I work at and I'm going to give it, there's two ladies there that I'm going to give it to. The fact of me opening that bag was huge because, again, I attached that to my connection with her. Also in our middle bathroom, I had a vase, and it had three dried red roses that I took from her grave. And as you can tell, I'm a very symbolic person. Symbolism always played a big part in my life, and I have thrown those dead roses away now. So it's been extremely life-changing. Deep breath, everybody. Deep breath. And as you're breathing in, if you can tap into 0.0001% of how proud I am of each of you right now, you should be tingling. The work we're doing here as we set the stage, and, and Marsha, I know you've already shared a number of your ahas. I don't want you to feel left out. In the last show, folks, Marsha shared a number of ahas. You've got to go back and listen to that show if you're missing out on, on her ahas. But I want to wrap up so we can get into our next chapter. Are you understanding now how being mindful of our stuff, the more mindful I am of my things, the more aware of what my things do to me, how it impacts me, the more aware of it I am, the more I remove what could hurt my sense of worth. Did that make any sense? Yes. Yes, it does. Conscious raising here is what we're doing. And the reason why I like doing what we're doing in a team is each of you, and this is why I encourage you to go back into the back office, reread some of those diary posts, reread some of those comments as we go out throughout the rest of the year. There's going to be stuff that, you know, you plowed it open now and it's got to have a little time to fester a little bit. And six months from now, you're going to go, crap, oh my God, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> So just know I am very excited with what you all are doing, and I know that we've had one team member who has been a little absent. There is news about that, that when she's ready to share, she will, So, but she's still with us. Don't worry. But I want to now switch to Chapter 2. <laughs> that laugh kills me every time. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. <laughs> he is the wizard. <laughs> I kick off chapter two with a couple of quotes. One by an author and writer, Gail Sheehy, her quote. Would that there be an award for people who come to understand the concept of enough, good enough, successful enough, thin enough, rich enough, socially responsible enough. When you have self-respect, you have enough. When you have self-respect, you have enough. What thoughts get triggered when you ponder? When you have self-respect, you have enough for me it triggers all the times that I've not respected myself it triggers all the times that I felt like that I wasn't enough that I'd never do enough I'd never be enough 
that there was always something that I needed to do for me to have self-respect for myself. For me, I get to thinking about what is self-respect and feel the need to do more exploration on what is self-respect. Because prior to our starting this course, I said, yeah, I got all kind of self-respect in the world. Now I say, depends. Am I talking about myself physically, mentally, emotionally? And in every one of those areas I can say, no, I got some work to do. Basically, I think about what it must feel like to really have that self-respect. That has got to be one of the best feelings in the world. To just have your self-respect and know that you've done a good job at the end of the day and you're able to go to bed at night knowing that you've done everything you can to make this your world a better place and make this world a better place for someone else is good enough for me. So, Marsha, you were using you statements there. Are you talking about me, Christina? <laughs> who, who are you talking about? I'm actually talking about myself here. But in a general way, if it were to pertain to me, I would know that that feeling is really enough for me to be able to put my head down at the end of the day and say, yes, I did a good job today. Talk about being a hemorrhoid, just kind of putting that back out there for everybody, those <laughs> You statements, because once again, we have to remember, people are going to be listening to this at some point, and they're going to be going, who are you talking about? So the I statements become even more powerful. Scale of 1 to 10. You know I love to do these scale of 1 to 10 things. Statement that I practice daily with myself, everyone that I meet, everyone I love especially, and the statement is, I am perfect. I am perfect. You are perfect. Everyone listening to this show is perfect right now as you are. And I base that notion on the concept that I believe firmly that which I come from, that divine source, is perfect. How could I be anything less than perfect? And the only way that I can think of myself being less than perfect is my ego wanting to control me through doubt, guilt, shame, worry, judge, critic, perfectionist. Any of those topics sound familiar? <laughs> yes, they do. Absolutely. Scale of 1 to 10. When you look at yourself in the mirror and you look into your eyes and you say the statement, I am perfect. How would you score yourself? One being, that's a big pile of bullshit. Ten being, yes, I am. Where would you put yourself on that scale right now as we get into the concept of skills? This is Julia. I would say I'm seven and a half, eight. Okay. I'm going to say that my score is eight. Okay. Chelsea? I'm going to say that my score is a nine. All right. She's, she's bringing up the curve. Hey, I'll tell seven. Our journey in Chapter 2 is to help you all say with a bright, brilliant smile and a twinkle in your eye, a 10. As we think about the concept of worth and we think about the concept of enough, the concept of perfection, when I tap into the notion that I'm perfect, therefore I'm enough, the stressors that can be so easily grafted onto me, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, I'm, I'm too old, I'm too this, I'm too that, all of these socially created plateaus I should have a car by this time. I should have a house by this time. I should have a, all of this material world grafting that we've just become more aware of can whittle away at our sense of enough. True? True. Very yeah. true. If you were to literally brainstorm, list, bullet point, item by item, the number of skills that you have to have to boil an egg Ballparking it 
right off the top of your head, how many skills would you think you would list? 20. 20? Okay. Mm -hmm. Piece of paper and pencil time, folks. Piece of paper and pencil time for those listening to the show. You get value out of listening to the show because we're going to put you through an exercise. Piece of paper and pencil time. On your piece of paper, draw a circle. And in the middle of that circle, boil an egg. Draw a line out from that circle. Draw one line out and then draw another circle where you're connecting these two circles together. What would be one of the first things that come to mind that you would need as a skill to boil an egg? You have to have the mobility to get up from a chair. So in your circle, you would write the word mobility, right? Yes. So draw a circle, write mobility in there. Now draw a line from that circle up and create another circle. In order to be mobile, what skills do you need? In order to be mobile, you have to have some physical functioning. Your body has to be able to actually control your movement. Okay, so in a third circle connected like a ripple coming the third ripple out from your primary circle, your circle would be physical ability, right? Mm -hmm. In order to have that physical ability, what skills do you need for that physical ability? The ability to get from one place to the next, whether it be walking, wheelchair, crutches, cane. Okay. So how would you capsulize? What one word would you use for that circle? Maybe dexterity. There you go. In order to have dexterity, you have to have what? My point with this, ladies and gentlemen, there was a study done by a fairly well-known academic in one of those Ivy League schools. And this blew my mind when I read the study. According to this particular study, she came up with the notion that if you have a high school degree and you did a proper skills inventory, a standard high school degree, and you really did a proper skills inventory, your list should have over 150,000 skills. If you have a generic undergraduate degree, a generic undergraduate degree from any particular college or university, you would have 1.2 million skills. And she postulated that if you have an advanced degree, if you did a proper skills inventory, meaning you break it down, 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 you'll have over 4.5 million skills. That makes sense. If you're breaking it down into each minute area that you need to go from point A to point Z, that's doing some real digging and breaking it down. Where do you think I'm going with this, my dear team? We don't recognize what really is a skill. We often overlook it. Mm-hmm. And don't appreciate what it takes to do that. We don't have a worth value. We have less worth value than we should have for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Well, this takes me back to where a few people have told me you know more than what you think. When I start to train someone or I'm talking to someone, they're just like, wow, Julia, you need to give yourself some credit. Christina has said that, and another mentor of mine, Pat, has said that to me before. Julia, what's a skill you take for granted? What's something you do that you do it in a way that it's like breathing? You don't even pay attention to it. You just do it. Facebook. Okay. In order to do Facebook, I would say you'd probably have, if you really properly did a proper skills inventory, you should have at least 200,000 skills in order to do Facebook. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I I don't even know where one begins. I just know how to log in. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about 200,000, but there's a, a few things I know that I could probably teach a class on. So what's my point with Chapter 2? Why is it that I'm going from the concrete world, you can touch it, taste it, feel it, see it, in other words, it's concrete, 
people can see something, hear something, smell something. It's verifiable. That's what happened in chapter one, we, the concrete world. Now I'm going to get into the esoteric world. For example, you all don't know me all that well. You may not know the fact that I can cook a pretty good chili. And so if someone were to ask you, can Seoul cook a pretty good chili, you would go, I don't know. You wouldn't be aware of that skill, correct? Correct. Right. So if someone told you, if Seoul brings some chili, is that a good idea? You wouldn't know how to answer that, right? Right. So what I'm trying to get across as we get into this next part of our journey is at times I hope you feel completely overwhelmed in a good way. It's like that ache you feel after doing a workout. Yeah, you're hurt, but it's that good hurt feeling, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want you to feel overwhelmed by getting into your skills because as we tap into things that aren't readily seeable, there's some magic that's going to happen when it comes to your sense of self-esteem, confidence, your sense of worth. Any speculations you'd like to toss out so far? One thing that I was noticing with reading the, the chapter is because I personally overlook some of my skills, asking other people what they think my skills are, of course, the list is so small. And it makes perfect sense if I don't value it and recognize it and I don't leverage it or show it to other people, that's missed out, not understood. And then I got to thinking, well, then we're living in a, a society of people who all are clueless about really the depth of the skills that they have to offer others. And as a result, we're all missing out on a wonderful opportunity to really support one another and help one another grow because we don't leverage most of the skills we naturally have inside us. Spot on, Christina. Spot on. Can you tell that the more awake and aware I become, the more awake and aware I become of who you are and what your potential is? That's one of the key secret sauces of our journey together. And it creates magic all the way around. Let's boil it back down again to something really simple. So, Marsha, let's take a skill that you probably do without thinking twice about it. Okay. Is it safe to say, Marsha, you can tie a shoe without even thinking about it? Yes. Have you ever taught a child on how to tie their own shoe? Yes. <laughs> yes. Where am I going with this? You are showing us that there are so many skills we have that we have learned and it comes to us like a piece of cake. We don't even think about it. We just do it. But when you were teaching that child how to tie the shoe, was it easy for the it. child? No, actually they had to learn how to do it. We taught them how to do it, and they learned, and it became more natural for them to be able to do it. Did you get frustrated at any point while you were trying to teach your child how to tie their shoe? Like, why aren't you getting this? It's so easy. I don't with my own children, but I have heard stories <laughs> where people are frustrated because they can't understand why their child can't put the shoelace over the, the bow that they made. Yes. It can be frustrating to try to teach somebody something that seems so simple to you, but it's not simple when they're first learning it. So you have to have some patience. <laughs> so I'm bringing this up, and I'm glad you used the word patience, because my dear Team Clarity, I've been teaching Pay Me What I'm Worth for a decade. And there wow. are times where you probably will sense in me some frustration. Why are you getting this? <laughs> and I give you full permission to go, so get over yourself. We're still learning this. <laughs> this is an exciting chapter. It's also a very daunting chapter. And this is a chapter that never ends. This is a chapter I hope you revisit year after year after year because your skills change every single day. The second quote that kicks off Chapter 2 by Seneca, 
a Roman writer and philosopher. What difference does it make how much you have? What you do not have amounts to much more. Has any of you ever felt like you're incompetent? You need another degree. You need another this. You need more training. You need another workshop. You need another seminar. You need another... Has anybody ever faced that query? Oh, yeah. Yes. What was going on when that came up for you? I was trying to learn a new skill (laughs) and couldn't understand what they were talking about, especially when it's technical. And when you finally learned it, did you have an aha moment that goes something like, wow, I actually did know this, but because it was presented in this way, I didn't realize I learned that or I knew that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it gives you a better understanding of something you may have already known, a different perspective. Chelsea, if I recall correctly in one of our prior discussions, Chelsea, you have multiple degrees. Yes. What led you to get more than one degree? Oh, my. (laughs) Coming from a family where I was the only one to graduate high school, the only one to go to college, I became a professional student. And I actually (laughs) love going to school. I actually love learning. And so what I found as I was doing my second master's, a master's in geriatrics, that it was so much in my wheelhouse that it wasn't a challenge at all. But once I started, I sure wasn't going to stop because I knew I needed, for me, I felt I had to complete it. And now that I'm not in school and I'm not going back to school because I found there's a lifetime limit to student loans. And <laughs> I, <laughs> I had planned on doing a doctorate in social work, but when I found the lifetime limit of student loans, I realized that really, Chelsea, you need to stop. And now that I've come this long without being in a degree program, I realized I really didn't need that life master's. Chelsea, I wonder if there's more to it than that. Just curious, value that you ascribe to having made it in life because the rest of your family didn't get to this point. And with each degree, the perception was that you really, really made it. Yes. I can remember when I divorced at around 31, 32 years old. I initially went back to school to show everybody that I could be something, that I was going to be somebody, that I was going to make it. And somewhere along the way, it became more of what I wanted and what I wanted to do with my life and showing them. But with my family, I believe that some deep feelings of disconnection especially since my mom died, just disconnecting from my family because basically they were just nothing but a bunch of drama, (laughs) most of them. Perhaps feeling that with every degree I got, it put me a little farther away. Even though if you knew me, you would never know that I had multiple degrees unless I told you because I am who I am, and 10 years from now you'll see the same person. I don't pretend to be something that I'm not and never have. The deep-seated feelings of feeling like I needed those degrees to prove that I was enough, to prove that I really had made it against all odds. Well, I can attest to the academic fix. I can attest to the academic addiction Mm -hmm. such that when I get into a good class and I get a good teacher and that teacher is pounding my brain open to things that I had never thought about before. Mm-hmm. Like being a kid in a candy store. I want that. I want that. I want I want uh, I want more. I could spend the rest of my life in classes, right? Yep. Who else has had that feeling? You get intrigued about something, a topic, a concern, an issue, a cause. I want to hear a story about how somebody plopped an idea in your head, and you had to follow through. They didn't ask you to. They didn't require you to. The idea got plopped into your head, whether it was a TV commercial, whether it was a a documentary, whether it was a friend, but an idea got plopped into your head, and it motivated you to take action to learn. Who has a story around that? 
an idea that I can literally control my own destiny. I'm just, I can't get enough of that. It's one of those things that everybody has the opportunity to do it, but only certain few actually take the actions to do it. So I'm on this journey of finding all of that out, whether it's from mindset to spirituality to physical things to technical aptitudes, everything to control my destiny, I'm all about it. I'm just totally obsessed with it. So this force of curiosity is from the inside out, true? Yes. Yes. Julia, what difference does it make whether or not something's driven from the inside out or the outside in? If it's driven from the inside out, you're going to have more passion and more desire to want to complete the task or whatever it is that you're out to accomplish. Or are you talking about me or are you talking about you? <laughs> I'm talking about me. <laughs> okay, just, just if curious. It's something, if it's something that I feel I need to, I want, you cannot tell me I cannot do it. It's a feeling, and I know I'm going to do it, and I know I'm right, and I'm going to go for it. If it's something from the outside in or if somebody, if there's no desire or passion for it, I'm most likely not going to complete it. And I'm the outside, and I say, Julia, you got it. you're going to lose your home. You're going to lose your car. You're going to lose your daughter. You're, I'm putting all this fear into you because I'm pressuring you to learn something. Are you going to do it? No. Bingo. No. I'm not, is that, no. No, because it's fear. It's fear. And I, no. No. I, Where am I, I going so with this? That goes with. To, that brings you to a level of being able to do it just good enough. If I think about, I have four degrees, right? Who does that benefit? That's well, that's what, I'm, the that's, that's what I'm getting to. It doesn't benefit. Yeah. No, I have those degrees because the outside told me I had more value if I got another piece of paper. So, yeah, I got it. I got it with good GPA and all. And on paper, it looked like I was really diving into that and really I mastered it. But I will tell you, I did just enough to get the good grade to get the piece of paper. But I never poured every ounce of it of me into it like I do this journey that I am on now. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I was, was going to say, this class really drew, drew to me. I mean, it really, something about this class, I said, wow. I got to take this class. I don't know what it's about. I'm looking at somebody named Soul Dancer who's a, a shaman in many respects. And after talking to you, Soul, this was something I was going to figure out how I'm going to be able to do this. <laughs> I totally agree. This class has actually given me the courage to tell someone who's that something that is not in agreement with me or what I'm doing, and, and I know that it's crap, I will say it. I will say it. You're full of, you know, you're full of whatever, and you, know, you can go where the sun doesn't shine because I'm going to do what I do best. And back then, I would not have said that. I would have said nothing, walked away, and be mad at myself for not saying something and standing up for myself. Because not everybody has to be in agreement with me, but we have to learn how to respect everyone's thoughts, opinions, and everyone's wishes and not put it down. Bingo. So, what's my evil little take-over-the-world philosophy, ladies? (laughs) What am I digging out? What am I unleashing here? Being conscious of what feels good, what feels right. And being conscious of why you do some of the things you do. The real reasons. I just had an epiphany after we talked about degrees and everything. So, I think for me, my deepest darkest feeling was I felt like I needed to prove that I was more than an abused child. I was more than a survivor of molestation. I was more than the daughter of a murderer. And I think I was trying to prove that more as much to myself as anyone else. There was more to me than just that. Awesome, Chelsea. So, Chelsea, you're cracking your egg like a chick cracks the egg to be born into this world. You're cracking my the egg. My egg got fishers. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Excellent. Part of the goal of Pay Me What I'm Worth and the journey that we're on is for you to wake up and for everyone listening to wake up and for me as your teacher to wake up to what is already inside the passion. As you know, when you get passion, as I know, when a passion wakes up inside me, it's a perpetual energetic wealth need, right? Nothing's going to stop me when I'm passionately focused on something. True? Very true. Correct. Now, if I have to be your cheerleader, or if you need a cheerleader to keep that passion going, what red flags should be popping up? Would it be the doubt that you have for your ability to, to do the work? That's one. What else? Fear of failure. Or fear of, <laughs> or fear of once you in this journey and you have all these different ahas and you become you grow, fear that you won't be able to live up to that or sustain it or what's the next step you won't be able to to handle that. So we got some doubts coming in. The what ifs. Have you noticed I have progressively since we have gotten to know each other backed off of my cheerleading. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting to see what you're going to do. How much are you going to write in the back office? How many calls are you are you all going to initiate on your own? I'm waiting to see, are you going to bite into this at such a degree that, by golly, nothing's going to get in your way of learning about yourself? Have you noticed that? Yes. Yes, yes I've noticed if you think that, why isn't Soul writing more comments on my blog posts? Why isn't there more input from Soul? I'm mindful of the fact that whatever input I put into the process could be considered cheerleading, could be considered affirmation. For me, learning skills, advancing skills are more sweet, are more savory, are more yummy when I really don't care whether or not I get acknowledgement for it or there's affirmation, oh, what a good job you've done. Mm -hmm. I really honestly am detached from somebody noticing a change. Did that make any sense? Yes. What's the power under all of that? Why am I bringing this up? Once you get to that point, I'm doing this more for me, not Mm -hmm. to make Soul happy, not to make Christina happy or my team happy that I am doing the work because I'm worth doing the work for. Bingo. And not to mention that, certainly, that's your best armor against doubt, guilt, shame, and worry, the influence it has on you from the outside world. Mm-hmm. Like I say from our last call, everything you were going to wade into the kitty end of the pool and now you're in the ocean, remember that comment? <laughs> yes. <laughs> With our little paper and pen exercise today where we put that opening circle of boiling an egg and we started mapping out, mind mapping out the skills necessary to boil an egg. If you took that one simple act of boiling an egg, tying a shoe, and you mind mapped just that one act out, keep going and slicing it and and breaking it down, and more more circles and more circles and more circles, you could fill up an entire living room wall with just boiling an egg. True? Sure. That's the journey that we're going to take. I'd like to focus now. Our next four weeks are going to be divided up into four specific tasks. Tasks number one, next week, we're going to focus on the skills you think you have. The skills you think you have. So I invite you all to find yourself a notepad or a journal starting right now as you're doing stuff, bullet point skills, just words, what skills, reading, writing, thinking, whatever. Start making your own skill list. Carry that pad or journal around with you. Just plop down words. Start your skill list. That's week one. Is uh, brushing a teeth a skill? Yes. Yes. 
Okay. I just wanted to get an idea of what I should be writing about. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Week number two, what skills others think you have? So as you're preparing for week two, I want you to think about ten people that you would send an email to or have a phone conversation with. And I give you how to do this in the exercises. Just follow that part two of what skills other people think you have and how will you approach them. But find 10 people and query them. Ask them, what skills do you think I have? If you were to list the top 10 skills, if you were going to introduce me on stage to an audience and you were going to list 10 of my traits, my skills, traits are skills, what would they be? And send them to you. Note them down. Our third week is a magical, magical, magical week. If you think of paper plates, the first paper plate is the skills that you think you have, right? Follow? Yes. Yes. Second week, or the second paper plate, is the skills other people think you have. The third paper plate is our magic. The third paper plate is the overlap. Who wants to speculate on the ratio between your sense of worth and the overlap between our first two weeks of worth? Any speculation? I would say people will see things in us that we don't see ourselves. Mm -hmm. But I would say that our true belief in our personal value is directly correlated to what we personally ascribe to our skill. Okay. Would it be a fair statement that the more overlap between the skills you think you have and the skills other people think you have, if you think of those two paper plates overlapping each other, the more they overlap, the more valuable you are to all involved? Yes. Yes. Hmm. What light bulbs are happening here? Quickly, what's popping in your heads? It's going to be interesting to see how others see me than what I see from that I see myself and how that overlaps. This is going to be huge. Real value is going to be being able to give it to myself as well as, as everyone around me. And as you wear the explorer's hat and you remember the ground rules, why do you think the ground rules are so important in month number three? Oh, yeah, because we're going to get some deep stuff. I think it's because when you're doing the comparison or the overlap, whatever feedback is given or whatever you input, you should not allow yourself to feel guilty or shameful or any way that's not good or brings a bad feeling because no matter how you put it, you still hold value. You're still a valuable person. Bingo. No critic, no judge. No perfectionist can be part of this process. I'm going to close with something for you to ponder. There's a difference between being a judge and being an observationist. Judgment uses morals. Right, wrong, good, bad, in, out. Judgment divides. Making a judgment on something, we attach a feeling of good or bad, right or wrong to. Very analytical. When you are an explorer, which we've talked about being in this journey, and you stick to observations, you're an observationist more than a judge. You observe things. And if what you observe triggers a feeling of that's right or wrong, good or bad, you're triggering your... Your judgment? Exactly. When you cross that line between observationist and judge, what happens? You're not able to move forward. You've stopped right there because the judge is final. Mm -hmm. What else? I'll give you the illustration of a horse. Why in the early days did farmers put blinders on the horse? Do you know what blinders are? Distracted. Mm-hmm. 
they put a headpiece on the horse that blocked their ability that unless they turned their heads, of which it was also restricted on, they could turn, they could pivot to see what's right or left, up or down. They restricted the horse the sense of sight. Why? To avoid fear. Keeps the horse focused on plodding along going forward, right? Yes. Yes. When we cross the line between observing and judging, when we get into judging... We start building blindness. What's behind what I just said? Judgment blinds us from truly seeing and feeling what's right in front of you. Mm -hmm. It's important to ponder these notions because as we get into our skills, as people respond back what they have observed and now judge to be your skills... It's critical that you stay in observation mode, just like Julia said. Even the most successful people, they all have critics, and they still do to this day. But that never distracted them from getting them to where they're at today. And the same applies to you. Which is a flavor of Seneca's quote. What difference does it make how much you have? What you do not have amounts to much more. As we recognize there's always more to learn, as we recognize our skills are always blossoming, perfect as we are, we are still polishing. We are still making more sparkles in our diamonds. Yeah? Yes. Yes. I agree. All right. I am thinking we've had a great discussion. What I would like to ask is, is there anything that particularly struck anybody in this week's reading? I didn't realize that we could have that many skills. <laughs> Honestly, it just seems like that's a lot of skills right there. If you're looking at every little thing that you know how to do, that's a lot of skills that we have not been mindful of towards our worth. The skills, it just makes you have a, a different definition of what skills are because every time through my years of working, when you're filling out your resume, you have to put down your skills and nothing in there is what you do on a daily basis unknowingly doing every single day. And I never looked at what I do on a daily basis as a skill. I always thought skills were something that you know, was work-related. So this is going to be a point. Mm-hmm. literally is what I was getting ready to, to ask everybody about. So that's a fantastic point, Julia. I'm glad you brought it out. I'm glad somebody else saw the same thing because that was something that jumped out at me because I literally went down the little teaser list that he included on pages 28 through 30. I mm-hmm. went down that list and I put, started putting the star next to the things the skill, <laughs> because I was like, when I listed out my skills, I knew I wasn't going to come up with that many skills. I had a, a, I thought what I thought was a great list, but I realized this list kind of sucks. It's short. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But as I started starring this list, I was like, hey, oh, this is kind of nice. I got a lot of skills here. Yeah. So I was wondering if anybody else took that list and started checking off the ones that they thought they had as well. I did look through that list, and I was like, wow. And it's going to be interesting to see if in that second week when we ask 10 people what skills we have, it's going to be interesting to see the difference in what we think of ourselves and what others perceive of us. Mm -hmm. Seriously, that sounds really interesting to me. (laughs) I'm intrigued with that right there. When I started thinking about my skills, some of the first things that came to mind was my artistic skills, singing, painting, writing, things like that. That's some of the first things I thought about other than my work skills. And that's yet another great thing to think about, too, is we're always putting ourselves in a prism. I will say I'm always putting myself in a prism. I'm defining myself as it relates to my job, as it relates to my business, as it relates to my sorority. I'm defining myself as it relates to whatever philanthropic thing I'm doing. I'm always defining myself as it relates to something. I narrow that prism. Mm-hmm. And I narrow the skills 
I don't even appreciate those skills. And for me, I'm as I was reading, I was thinking, as, if I'm not appreciating these things, certainly other people aren't appreciating those things ab- about me. Yeah, that's huge. On page 27, when he writes, start now, tap into all the hard work that you've already done or will do. When you do, you'll feel more confident. You'll earn the respect. You need to be paid what you're worth. That's big. For me, I like that was an anchoring moment for me as I was reading this chapter. It's a great chapter. Absolutely. So I, I really wanted to give everybody an opportunity just to express any other things that jumped out to them in the chapter. Well, I think like you said, when we think about our worth and looking at our skills, it's different in how each of us see our skills. Yeah. I'm an artsy person, so I automatically thought of that. Christina thinks about her skills for her work. So it's really interesting to see how we see ourselves differently than just our little group here. And so far, as I've talked to other people about my skills, what they think my skills are, because I've sort of done soft version of this exercise and doing what's called a, a 360 review of myself as far, as far as my skills when it comes to professional skills and everything. And it's kind of consistent, my skill set with my soft skills, my people skills and communication skills. Those are consistent. I What I feel about myself, what other people feel about me. But I'm so excited about doing more exploring about my other skills. Everybody takes this into the next week. I want to remind you about the exercise that Soul suggested where we have a piece of paper out and we start to note the individual skills that it takes to do something and don't think anything is silly or stupid or minute because even in something simple, whatever, dexterity or whatever it takes to get that accomplished, that will help you do more exploring. It will help us as we compile this list, really hone in on what skills we have, and I'm sure we'll be overwhelmed when we, when we get done with that list. Yes? Yeah? <laughs> I'm sure we will. Yeah. As we've all experienced these great shifts already, you can even more understand the value of what we're doing with Pay Me What I'm Worth. Is it not worth it to certainly be sharing this with other people? with other business associates and and friends, family. This isn't limited, as we've learned, to just business or jobs or being paid currency, right? This is about paying ourselves back. Really just explore it and and be honest. Don't say, yeah, I would like to do it or this sounds like a great idea. Really start to explore this is a real possibility and understand that part of that we can all help ourselves by sharing these discussions, these weekly discussions like we discussed uh, in the beginning of the call, okay? Right. The more we get that word out and the more we share that, it sort of lessens the resistance and makes people a little bit more curious. Yes? Right. I agree. I just really appreciate you ladies. Okay, so I love you all. Christina Irvin here, and I want to thank you for joining us as we continue to explore worth as it relates to life's abundance. If you resonate with this discussion and know that it's time to make a change, and I encourage you to take action now. Until next time, you have a great day. To get involved in Christina's classes, call her at 423-737-5809. Thank you once again for listening. This is Soul, your host. Aloha. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. 
That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 